Well, good morning, gentlemen. We should open your Bibles to Psalm 17. Psalm 17. We're going to start with a song this morning. It's actually a prayer. It's a prayer that you should uh, get familiar with if you're not already. It's a prayer of David, and it goes... Uh, just happens to go right along with our lesson this morning, and it is uh, the 17th of, of February yesterday. Today's February 18th, but this one is uh, is lingering, so I want to read it uh, this morning. And if you read it yesterday for your Bible reading, you'll get a double dose, all right? Then we'll pray, and uh, then we have a a little video. It's actually uh, actually an audio that goes along with it, but uh, I think you'll find it applicable. We're going to be talking about um, two things this morning. Number four, the fourth component in the true process of change, uh, and then we're going to talk about why we struggle uh, to to actually make the changes. So we've got the process down. This is the four components to biblical change, and then. And then why does that not always take hold? Where where can the you know the potential issue be? And that will uh, um, either round out our study or we'll be one more week. But uh, we'll see see what the Lord does. But before there, we want to pray and read the scriptures and ask His uh, ask His blessing uh, on our on our time. There's uh, there's something that just the the longer that I walk with the Lord, the more aware I am of, of, of the reality that apart from God's help, um, we can really do nothing. Uh, we were talking on Monday in staff meeting about how, the, how amazing it is that the Lord accomplishes His work in spite of us, uh, through us. I mean, uh, you know how big of a knothead you are. Uh, even more so than than the person sitting beside you, and yet you marvel at the fact that God actually <laughs> uses us in, you know, in His plan and and does it in a way that He gets all the glory. So uh, we surely want to thank Him for that and look to Him for that uh, this morning. So Psalm 17. Here's the the words of the Lord. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Give heed to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Notice how David equates crying to the Lord with prayer. You ever think of prayers crying out to the Lord? It's not God is great, God is good, and we thank Him for our food. It's a, it's a pleading with the Lord. And he says it's not from deceitful lips. Let my judgment come forth from your presence. Let your eyes look with equity. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me, and you found nothing. Uh, I hope that's that's the case in your life. Now watch him here. I have purposed with my mouth, uh, purposed that my mouth will not transgress. As for the deeds of men... By the word of your lips, I've kept from the paths of violence. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I've called upon you. You will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my speech. 
Wondrously show your loving kindness. O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand, from those who rise up against thee, keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. For the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies surround me. They have closed their unfeeling heart with their mouth. They speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They set their eyes to cast us down to the ground. He is like a lion that is eager to tear, and a young lion lurking in hidden places. Arise, O Lord, confront him. Bring him low. Deliver my soul from the wicked with the, with the sword, from men from your hand, O Lord, from men of the world, whose portion is this life, whose belly you will you fill with your treasure. They are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their babes. As for me, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when, when I wake. Let's pray. Father, what a what a great prayer. We echo the words of David this morning. In one sense, we cry to you. We we know our utter dependence upon you. And uh, David here calls for your scrutiny on his own life. And he, and he says, Lord, I, I know nothing myself, and, and, and there's nothing that you're exposing or revealing. And, and then, he, then he asks for your help. He, he says he purposed. He, he walked in a way that was pleasing to you. He, he persevered. He... He, uh, he labored to the point of exhaustion, striving against sin. May that be, may that be our lives this morning. Teach us. We've gathered together. We, we, we've gathered here to hear. We've gathered here to learn. And uh, we can't do that apart from your Holy Spirit um, or your Word. But we pray that you would, you would use our time together. Glorify your Son. Form Christ in us. Give us holy desires. Energize our pursuits. Grant life to our to our faith and make us more like your son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Did somebody turn the heat on? It's getting a little warm in here. Thank you. We're going to watch, uh, watch a little video. And then we're going to... Bible Q&A with John MacArthur. John's the author of the MacArthur New Testament Commentary Series. This is Denny Nugent with a question for John. It was submitted by a listener who visited our website. He asks, if changed desires in a godly life indicate true conversion, why does Paul talk in Romans 7 about his ongoing struggle to flee sin and do what is right? I mean, if he's struggling with sin, he's probably not truly saved, right? Well, how would you answer him, John? Wrong. If he's struggling with sin, that's a good indication that he is saved. Do you think non-believers have some great struggle with sin? No. How do they function? All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, First John 2 says. How do non-regenerate people function? By the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. There's no conflict. There's no battle. Oh, they, they might not like the consequences sometimes. 
They might feel bad about the way things turn out. They might feel bad about getting caught. They might feel bad about the trouble that ensues because they got caught. But there's no conflict on the inside because there's only one dynamic operating inside of them. And that dynamic is a fallen, sinful nature. It is unencumbered. It doesn't have any other conflicting feature. When you come to Christ, that all changes. You become a new creation. Everything is new on the inside. But you're still trapped in your humanness. And so you have a real conflict. Paul in Romans 7 can only be a Christian because he understands his sinfulness and he still has holy desires. Thanks for listening to Bible Q&A with John MacArthur. If you have a question for John, just go to MacArthur Commentaries. You ever felt that struggle? You ever been discouraged by that struggle? Yeah. You and me and, and everybody else. And yet the struggle is the evidence that the Spirit of God lives in you. So you should take you should take heart in that. You be encouraged uh, by that. I, I never I, I was never concerned about my sin. Um I was concerned about what, what, what John started with. I was concerned about the consequences. I didn't like the, the conflict that was in my marriage because Tracy and I were, were arguing. But I, I, was never, I was never gripped by the fact that I'm not loving her like Christ loved the church or somehow I'm displeasing God by the way that, that I'm acting. I just didn't like a wife that was, that, that, was, that was nagging or arguing with me because I wasn't treating her you know, well. Um, I, I was never concerned... Or say it positively. I, I was concerned about uh, about the you know the the, the effects of, of something going on in the workplace, or feeling bad for drinking too much, or or worrying about getting a speeding ticket, or whatever the consequence that came in my life. But but I wasn't thinking about about what are the long term ramifications of this. Is 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 this indicating my you know my eternal trajectory? You know how's God thinking about them? I mean, those things never crossed my mind. Um, and so one of the first things, obviously, that you experience in salvation is, is, this, is this, 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 this sin burden being lifted, the forgiveness coming. Um, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, the, you know, the sin burden rolls away. You do. You, it's, you feel the weight, crushing weight of, of sin. The more that you hear God's law, the more you understand uh, his holiness, um, the the greater the, the 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 weight that comes crashing down on you, and then when you you look to Christ and you realize that Christ has removed that. I mean, it's gone. You're you're washed completely clean, past, present, and future. I mean, from from filthiness to white as snow. There is this soul-storing joy. I am no longer condemned before before God, and and uh, and then after a period of of time, whatever that period is, uh, you you begin to feel the battles, don't you? The twinges that's there. I can remember calling one of my good friends on the phone. Um, you know, I went from. A very pagan lifestyle to to Christ, and I hadn't talked to this friend for quite some time. He's a really good friend, and um, we were we were on the phone, and and uh, he knew that I that I'd come to Christ, 
and I I began to uh, to to feel the the juices of you know the old buddies and and we were talking on the phone and I began to miss him and and uh, be, began. Uh, um, uh, I don't know how to say it other than I just uh, I, I missed him and um, wanted to relate to him in in some way. And so in the middle of that conversation, I, I dropped a curse word, and uh, and I was thinking, uh, really thinking a lot of it. And he stopped me. He said, he said, "Man, I thought you I thought you became a Christian." And immediately I was run through by the by conviction the Holy Spirit, and ended up calling him the next day and asking his forgiveness. He knew the difference between the way a believer should act or an unbeliever, but what was going on in my heart in that moment was, was temptation. I fell to that temptation that, that's there. I never felt guilty whenever I took the Lord's name in, you know, in vain or, or did anything before. And so there's the conviction there. There's also that battle that, that takes place. That is an evidence that you're Christ. And so we're talking about that the process that we go through change. It's sanctification. Okay, regeneration is new life. Happens in salvation. And, and in that new life, the penalty of sin is forgiven. That's the weight of, 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 of your sin burden lifted, the forgiveness. And now the, the process of growth, of sanctification happening, the, the power of sin is you're overcoming that practically in your life. And then ultimately, a glorification, the very presence of sin, will, will be removed. So we're here in the middle between salvation and glorification, and we're slugging it out uh, in the battle with the Word of God and the, and, the, and the Spirit of God. And so we're talking about how does that process of change uh, take place. And so with, we, we're talking about four critical components uh, to that. What's our target? What's our goal? Uh, Christ formed in you to become like the Lord. Are, are you going to complete that here on earth? Uh, no. <laughs> You're not going to get to a place of perfect holiness or sanctification. Um, the Lord's going to have to change you, but you, you, want, to, you want him to change you as, as little as, uh, as possible as far as uh, your efforts concerned. So the first component was you recognize your guilt. The second, on page 117, we talked about repentance, change of mind that works itself out in a change of, of action. Change your mind about, about God, about, about sin, about yourself, about, about Christ. But there is no change of mind. It's not a real change of mind if it doesn't work itself out in a, in a change of, of action. So we talked about the timing of repentance, the task, and the signs of it. The third component, forgiveness, and now we're on number four, which is page 120. The fourth component in the process of two change, uh, true change, is replacement. <clears throat> replacement. When I was uh, nine years old, ten years old, something like that, um, I took my first chew of tobacco. My dad did what a lot of dads did in... West Virginia, whenever your, your boy watches you pull your red man pouch out for, during hunting season and he asks for some, you give it to him thinking that he's going to gag and choke and never, ever, never, ever want it again. Well, that worked the opposite for, uh, for me. 
And somewhere around sixth grade, uh, um, I continued to use tobacco until probably six months or so after I, after I came to Christ. Um, but I can remember really, 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 really wanting to quit. Um, I chewed probably about a can of Copenhagen a day. I can remember being told by the dentist, if you don't stop doing this, you're going to get mouth cancer. And, and I can remember really, really wanting to quit. And I can remember trying to quit and not being able to to do that, maybe for a month or And I can remember someone telling me, well, you need to replace your Copenhagen with something else. You need a replacement. Your problem is that that, that you're just trying to take something away. You need to you need to add something in. And so whether that was sour gumdrops or you know what, whatever it whatever it, it it might be, it didn't work. So we're talking about uh, in the, the the real process of, of spiritual change, there is a replacement that the Bible talks about, putting off and putting on. But apart from the Holy Spirit, that's what I lacked. It wasn't some gimmick. Take away the Copenhagen and add sour lemon drops, and then that's going to fix the problem. Because I still had a, I still had lusts and desires. I still had things in my heart. I had no power to be able to do that. So you can try this process of putting off and, and putting on, not being a believer and be unsuccessful. But as a believer, the power of God is there. You've been changed, and and the Bible does talk about replacing. What's the concept of replacement? Look at I there. Biblical change involves both. Now watch this. Biblical change involves both putting off and, and putting on. You have not completed the process of repentance, change of mind, change of action, until you put off and you put you put on. And in order for change to be pleasing to God and last over time, old sinful patterns must be replaced with with new godly ones. Uh, turn to Ephesians 4, 28. It's one of my favorite verses, and I'll tell you why. Favorite verses related to this true change, biblical change that does involve replacement, putting off the old and putting on the new, putting off the deeds of the first Adam, putting on the the deeds of the, the last Adam, putting off sin, putting on Christ. This is very practical. Verse 28. Watch the process here. He who steals must steal no longer. There's the, there's the putting off, right? He who steals, let him steal no no longer. We're not told to, what Paul's thinking about here. Somebody who makes their living being a pickpocket, somebody who somebody who steals in in some way on a on a habitual basis. He who steals must steal no longer. Now, why is this person not going to not going to steal? Well. He's going to get his hands cut off, you know, Sharia law or whatever it might be. I don't, I don't want to steal because I'm going to get my hands whacked off. Well, let's say he gets his hands whacked off. He'll still have the desire to steal in his heart, and if he has the ability to do it, he'll he'll he'll, he'll still do it. He 
he no longer desires to to steal though if he if he comes to comes to Christ he who steals let him steal no longer so there's a change of mind I don't want to steal God God that's displeasing to the Lord Christ went to the cross for that whatever whatever it is there's a change of mind about about sin about God about why you're doing what 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 you're doing and so you stop that it's not enough just to say I don't want to do that anymore because God it's displeased by that, but then you keep right on doing it. So it's change of mind that works itself out to change of action. Change of mind happens first. Let him steal. Let him he who stole steal no, no more. And watch the contrast here. But rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good and the result, so that he will have something to share with, with one who is in, in need. So here's a person who stole. It was part of his lifestyle. His mind's changed. He stopped stealing. And now he's going to replace that, but rather he must labor. That's why I would take this passage as whoever this person is. This is how he's making his living. He's stealing, and now he's going to labor. He's, he's going to work. Rather than steal, he's, he's going to, to work. Performing with his own hands what is good... It's a good thing to work. It's a good thing to labor. Bad thing to steal, obviously. And the result of that will be fruit, godly fruit in his life that, that the Lord can, can, can use so that he'll have something to share with those who need. So his motivations have changed. I don't want to steal because it's sin against God. And now I'm going to labor. And in laboring of that, that's not laboring for myself so I can make a bunch of money. Now I'm going to labor so I can actually give. You know, to the Lord. It's a beautiful process. Now, why do I like that verse? Well, the first men that I baptized, uh, whenever I was a, became a pastor, we were having a work day at the church, and and the guy hadn't even been to church. His wife came to church, but he hadn't been to church. But he saw the bulletin and said there was going to be a church work day, and he wanted to meet the new pastor. I'd been there, I don't know, maybe a month or two, and he decided to show up, and we worked together on that work day cutting brush. And the next Sunday he was in the church, and the next Sunday he was in the church, and after a month or so he repented and came to Christ, and I, and I baptized him. And he was a woodworker. He, he, was a, he had this little wood shop. And on my wall, still at my office, there is a really large picture that's probably about as big as that whiteboard over there with a, with a routed two-by-four, two-by-fours that were routed, nothing fancy, but it has a map of the world, and it has a little, little plaque at the bottom, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, you know, make disciples. It's a great commission. And on the back of that is his name with this verse. Um, Indicating that in his life he he was marked by by stealing or by doing something that displeased the Lord, and now he's working with his hands, and this was his this was his offering, if you will, to bless his pastor that led him to to the Lord. So I, when I think of putting off and putting on, I always think of that brother, and I always think of of this verse. In order for change to be pleasing to God. And to last over time, old sinful patterns must be replaced with new godly ones. How radical is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, if your eye offends you, what does he say? 
pluck it out. I mean, this is cut it off, cut off access to whatever it is that that you're falling to. I mean, there is a radical putting off that that must take place. But then the Bible goes farther, put on the the tender mercies of of Christ. In this case, again, very practical. Stop stealing. Start laboring for the for the right purposes. Replacement is taught throughout Scripture. Somebody turn to Isaiah 1, 16 and 17. Um, somebody turn to Colossians 3, 9 through, 3, 9 through 10. And then 3 John... 11. Mark, you read Colossians, Mark Hager 3, 9 through 10. Who will read Isaiah? Well, thank you. Uh, 3 John 11. Thank you. All right. Isaiah. So wait a minute before you start. Listen for the putting off and the putting on. Okay? Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Mm-hmm. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. It's good. One of those passages that even the social gospel people use today, you do good, you do good, you do good. The problem is that they're not putting off sin to begin with. So you can do good all you want to people. You do good yourself. You may rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic, as they say, but you're never going to change the heart. But if the heart is genuinely changed, there's a call to change. There's a call to repent. There's a call to cease from evil. And then there is so wash, and then there is the the doing of good. Pursue after that, putting off and, and putting on. Mark, Colossians 3. Verses 9 and 10. Not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of your Creator. Putting off and putting on, um, put off like a like an old dirty garment. Um, the deeds of the old man, the old self, put on. Um, <coughs> The ways of, of Christ. And then 3 John 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God, but it is evil has not seen God. Do you ever get confused about those passages where, that talks about um, it's not he who says, Lord, Lord, but he who does the will of my Father? I can remember thinking as a, as a young believer, wait a minute, I thought salvation was by faith and not by works. Kind of confusing, that do, like, like pitting them against each other. And Jesus clearly doesn't do that. It's, it's the fruit that comes from your life. So Jesus describes it like a tree. And a good tree bears good fruit. And so when the tree is changed, then it bears good fruit. So... So saying versus doing, coming to Christ, produces this process of putting off and putting on in good fruits. It's one of the evidences. And there, as MacArthur reminded us to begin with, there's a battle that happens in that.
and that battle remains. So here's the replacement. So that's the concept of replacement. Um, look at the character. What is it? What does it look like to actually replace this, the old life with the with the new? Well, it begins with breaking and and establishing pa- uh, habits. This is this is really practical. Uh, turn to Romans six and look at verses twelve through twelve through thirteen. <coughs> Paul is describing this battle that we do. Don't get the idea that your sanctification is, you know, just believe, frog on the lily pad, you know, oh, now I'm going to be sanctified today. That's not the way that the Christian life works. Um, You strive, you battle, you labor. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? You fall, you stumble, you get up, you do it again, and you do that over and over. Well, Paul's going to talk about very specifically here. Look at verses 12 and 13. He's talking about earlier what has taken place. You have died in Christ. You will you will live because of him. Verse 11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Reckon that, understand that, calculate that. And now watch the action. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lusts. Now, think about what that's saying. It's telling you, don't let it reign in your mortal body. You're still in this body here. John talked about you still have your humanness, your fallen your fallen humanness that remains. New creature in Christ Jesus. You're not a schizophrenic in the sense that the black dog and the white dog is fighting in there and whichever one you feed, you know, is going to win. You are a new creature, but you are you are still encased in unredeemed flesh and you're in a fallen world, as we're learning in Ecclesiastes, and that is why you are, are battling. So you have a mortal body, and you're not to let sin dominate or, or reign or, or become sit in the seat of king so that you may obey its lusts. What is that implying? You're going to be lust-free? You're going to be desire-free after Christ? No. You're going to have those. And look at verse 13. And do not go on presenting members of your body to sin as instruments of, of righteousness. Don't go on presenting yourselves um, as instruments of unrighteousness. You can, you can yield to those lusts and become instruments of of unrighteousness. But, contrast, present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members, your your your, your body as, as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. For you're under the law, but you're under the law, but but grace. So breaking and establishing patterns. Paul's describing the 
uh, the Bible here. Um, and that is a that's a process. Any thoughts or you may want to share about that struggle or that battle that's taking place in uh, in your own life? say that this is a really neat passage that sometimes we overlook when it comes to success in our thought life. And so I find that most people who are habituated towards pornography lost the idea of this thing that the actual pornography that you were practicing leaves a latent imprint in your mind. Hmm. And, uh, and that's, of course, in police work, that's how we catch people because it's a, an image, an exact image of who was there last when we looked at latent print. But latent prints can be destroyed by more content, by a different objective. And that's what he's saying because he uses in Colossians 3 about the image of God. So we replace that to destroy the imprint, the latent mm-hmm. imprint. And most people are responding and reacting to the latent imprint of the old pornography. Mm-hmm. So that's what the, the desire starts happening over the latent part of that, not legitimate part, then they go back to practicing more pornography. Mm. So if they can replace that with the Philippians 4 says, think on these things, then they start having success. But you don't have success by just leaving the latent print, hoping it dissipates, because it won't. Yeah. It leaves an imprint. Yeah, it's good. So you have to practice thinking right rather than what you're old thinking, and you start seeing it fade away and no longer has power. Mark used the term habituating you know, into sin. You, he's talking about sinful practices here, the things that you do over and over and over and over to where it just becomes very, very natural to you. Natural man, natural desires, acts in natural ways, and then it becomes very normal, a normal way of practice. If you go, if you go to Israel, one of the things that that's amazing is when they, they, they uncover you know whatever city or town that you were in, and there'll be the cardo, which is the 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 heart of the city, the main street in the city, and the the uh, the stones are still there, the paving stones, and and you'll be able to you'll you'll kind of approach it, and you'll kind of see the city laid out there, and you can say, oh, okay, right there is the main street in the city, and you even today you'll still be able to see the the ruts. That the that that the wagons wore even in the in in the stone. Um, think about your your old life that that way. Even though you're you're a new uh, creation, or or think about um, you know going out four wheeling or being somewhere where there's there people have went through the mud over and over and over, and there are ruts that are there, and you pull your vehicle in there. You're, you automatically sink down in those ruts. You can almost take your hands off the wheel, and, and it, the buggy just keeps, just keeps right on going. Have you ever tried to get up out of those ruts? It's hard to get up out of those ruts, but you have to battle to get up out of the, the ruts of the old life and then establish new ones, and that's the process that Mark's talking about. So you can become habituated to sin. I, I do this, same thing, over and over. It's just natural to me. And you've got to get up out of those ruts. That's the battle that's there, and then form new ones. The putting off of the of the old patterns of life, you can put on new patterns of life, and so you wear uh, you wear ruts, if you will, in um, 
in the ways of the, of the Lord. So be encouraged. It's a hard battle. It, it takes effort. But once you get up out of those, those old ruts and you start wearing, you, you start practicing spiritual disciplines and, and following the, the, the ways of God, it, it can, be, it can be, become easier. You're never going to get away from the, the, the lust of the flesh and those type of things. But you can wear new ruts of, in, in godliness. So breaking and establishing the habits that are theirs. I wrote down in my notes, uh, it takes time, so keep at it. It does. It takes, takes time, but, but keep at it. The second one here, enduring in obedience. Enduring in obedience. Somebody turn to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. You know this passage well. Who would read that for me? Thank you, Brian. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Now we we love this passage, I do too. We normally stop after verse 2 though, don't we? So we have this great cloud of witnesses that by faith, by faith, by faith, we have the greatest witness, the Lord Jesus himself, who endured the cross, were to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles in running the race. So the picture of someone running the race, and you don't run a race in an overcoat and you know, and work boots and all of those other things. You, you lay aside any in, in encumbrances or hindrances there so you can win the race, so you're in the race, you're fixing your eyes on the goal, on the target, who's Christ. I want to be like Christ. You're fixing your eyes on Him and how He battled for the joy that was set before Him. Um, obviously, Jesus did not enjoy the sufferings of the cross. He looked to the obedience that He was, uh, His obedience before the Father and in the joy that was coming there, so the, the battle that we're in, the race that we're in, is, is not pleasant at times. It's hard, but there's joy. There's joy at the end. And verse 3, though, we're specifically told to for consider him, Christ, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's easy to grow weary. It's possible to to lose heart, have the wind taken out of your, your sails. If you want to go one further, you can read verse 4. 
Don't get mealy-mouthed about it and think, woe is me, how horrible of a situation I've got. Because you've not resisted to the point of shedding of blood and you're striving against sin. Oh, it's so hard. It's so hard to turn off the computer and not do the wrong thing with the computer. It's so hard to get up in the morning to come to grace and grant it. It's so, it's so hard. Well, in a certain extent, it, uh, it is. God acknowledges it's a battle, but, but stop whining. I mean, you didn't, you didn't come to the point of the shedding of, of blood. Look at what Christ has, has, has done. You, you didn't endure. You're not really enduring. I mean, is it really that difficult to get out of bed to come to grace and grant it? Is it really that difficult to pray and study your... You know your Bible. Are you are you are you are you really being, you know, flogged in the middle of the of the street? Remind myself of that. What are, what is wrong with you, Brian? I mean, yeah, I mean your your flesh is going. What else would you do? Go watch TV rather than pursue Christ? I mean, he's worthy, right? So you have to talk to yourself. Stop it. You get to look at the Lord. You've not resisted to the point of shedding of blood, and you're striving against sin. It's a striving against Sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. In that process and then how difficult it is. That pain and that difficulty, the, the discipline that even the Lord brings in your life is an evidence that, that he loves you. So enduring in obedience... You break and establish habits. You pull the the vehicle up out of the out of the old ruts and, and you, you bear down trying to establish new ones. And then you endure in that. You endure in that in that obedience. It takes time. Keep it up. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. And then you also structure your environment. Um Romans thirteen fourteen. This is really practical. Yeah. You want to read it? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Amen. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Um, sometimes I think we wonder why we fall to sin and what we should be wondering is is why did we leave whatever causes us to fall into sin with such easy access to it that's what Jesus is talking about when he says if your eye offends you pluck it out I can remember talking to a young man young man college age Ten years ago, or something like that, and he was uh, became very, very burdened. Um, he was a, he was addicted to pornography and Adderall. He went whenever he was a kid, and they told him he had ADD, and they put him on Adderall, um, and then he he began to use that for recreational, you know, purposes. Began justifying the fact that, you know, I'm studying, I have to stay up late, and so, you know, I'll take a little bit of this. And and um, he was really burdened. He's really confused. When you get all 
all mucked up in sin. It, it's you're in a confusing state. You're not thinking right. Your conscience is guilty. It's inflamed, and that's why you you need someone else to help you start straightening out the you know the parts of of your life. And he was under conviction, and and he came, and and so we started working on the on the Adderall, and then and then it came to the you know to the, to the pornography part, and. Um, he was a uh, his major at Liberty was had to do with computers, computer science, and uh, I mean this has been going on for ten years in his life. So this is not oops I clicked on the wrong thing. This is a habituated pattern in his life that he's tried to overcome and been unable to overcome. And so I said to him, Have you considered changing your major? I mean, you are studying, and as you're studying in a Christian university, you're falling to this. And um, I can remember him looking at me like, oh, I can't do that. I mean, this is my livelihood. I, I, I put three years, you know, into this or two years or whatever it was. I can't change, I can't change my major. And um, it's not, the ending of the story is not good. He continued to to try and struggle on his own, uh, unwilling to do what needed to be done, continuing to make provisions for the you know, for the flesh, and then ended up going back to the to the Adderall and, and other things. And as far as I know, he's not walking with the walking with the Lord today. What you have to give up um, is nothing compared to what you'll gain. But sometimes the things that you have to give up are cut to the bone, don't they? Um, structuring your environment. Make no provision for the flesh. Am I willing to give up whatever it might be that that my flesh is not strong enough? I'm not strong enough in order to say no to in order to overcome that. Larry? I think it's important to know that you're actually saying it, but I'd like to just... Yeah, please. Exactly. And you'll be okay because you've built a new habit, but that takes a long period of time. Yep. Amen. Yeah, Jim? You know, a lot of times if you give up um, what you cherish mm. the Lord, for example, in mm-hmm. this case, um, getting out of the computer field, it's amazing what God will do. Mm-hmm. Five years down the road, he might make him the CEO of some computer company. Exactly right. You're exactly right. Yeah. 
and it's those are those are the those are the challenges of treasuring Christ versus I mean and they're 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 big deals they're hard. Um, it may not be permanent. It may be permanent, but it may not be. And, um, it is a good say there. Yeah. One thing that I find it seems to be at least it's not emphasized here in this section, and that is enlisting the. Power, the resource of the Holy Spirit. Mm. The Scripture says a lot about the Holy Spirit in connection with sanctification. Yes. And so the issue is, I, I would say, a, a question is, how does a believer um, uh, walk in the Spirit? Yeah. Uh, be led by the Spirit, live in the Spirit, as yeah. Paul talks about in Galatians five. Yeah. Uh, so that you know, we're talking about how, where do you get the power? Yeah. To do the things that are talked about here. Yeah. To me, the Scripture teaches that uh, the Holy Spirit is a, a, a the prime source of, of, of this yeah. power. Yeah. And so, what one thing in my life as a new believer, I had a radical conversion like you did. I was 26 instead of 24, but I was in that environment as a, as a new believer. I was taught to be radical towards sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the, the moment that I was aware that I had uh, sinned, that, that there was a procedure I should follow, and that is to confess it, mm-hmm. like one John 1, 1 John 1, 9 says, even out loud, mm-hmm. confess it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, immediately, uh, igno- and then that, to also acknowledge, I don't want to do this mm-hmm. anymore, and to I'll offer a prayer, Holy Spirit, transform me so mm. I don't do it anymore. Mm. And I and so practicing that as a as a as a pattern. Yeah. I I saw a radical change in myself. Mm. I saw these old problems just uh, just dissipate uh, dissipate fade mm. away. Yeah. And so I, I'm persuaded <coughs> that uh, learning how to in, Yeah, I think the beginning part here, I mean, there's, there's two parts. Amen to where we started. You can't change apart from being aided by the Holy Spirit. You are part of that process, which is what I'm saying. It's not frog on the lily pad. You are you're battling and fighting. You're cooperating, you know, in the sanctifying process, the work of the, of the Holy Spirit. That power is in you at salvation, but you do have to yield. What are you yielding to? I would say, and we're gonna when we get to the end, the three uh, um, types of approaches of sanctification: the Wesleyan, the Keswick, you know, and then a, what I think is a biblical approach. You have the Spirit in you, and you yield to the Word of God. You know, so yes, you're looking to Him, but He has empowered you, you know, empowered you to do that. So. Yeah, there's nothing that we're talking about here that's even remotely possible apart from the, you know, from the Holy Spirit um, that's there. Uh, Colossians three and Ephesians five. You talk about being led by the Spirit. You know, 
let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The parallel passage, be filled with the Spirit. So Paul sees a correlation, a direct correlation between being filled with the word of God and being filled with the, the Spirit of God. The power that the Spirit gives you is in you. And, and, and how do you then yield you know, to that, the more the Word of God that, that's in you, the more the more control that the Holy Spirit's going to have over your life. But it is coming down to I'm going to choose to do this rather than you know, rather than that. And praying, asking the Lord's help in that, I yield to you. Uh, I've argued with myself. I've argued with the Lord. <laughs> help me, God. Sure. If we back if we refuse to do that, then we're not really welcoming the, the Holy Spirit's work in our in our lives. Yeah. And, and so I, I think one uh, you know there there is a, a right balance here about you know I think we need we need to consciously yeah. be aware. I think really what you're talking about will will we'll really delve into whenever we get to the when we get to the end because what you're talking about is. Is at what point is a is a Keswick approach, you know, to the the role of the Holy Spirit, the deeper life, uh, you know, a type of type of approach. Which when we get there, we'll talk about you know, that that approach, and um, and then we'll we'll. Co- I think there's a direct correlation between Colossians and Ephesians five, Colossians three and Ephesians five. But I but I clearly believe that the Holy Spirit is is a part of the Trinity and, and God and and he's obviously he's obviously not to be ignored. But he is at work in the background, you know, if you will, through the Word of God exalting you know exalting Christ. So, so you've got the concept of replacement, the character of replacement, and so it's just very you know very practical. So let's say you do all of these things. You acknowledge you Repent, forgiveness comes, you rearrange things in your life, you prayed, and I still I still struggle. What may be going on in the background? And now we're going to be talking about making progress. The fear of the Lord versus obstinacy in the process of helping people change and mature there's often a roadblock that retards progress the core issue is competing affections idols of the heart that is due to a lack of the, the fear of God and a desire for something 
other than than God. If you if you boil it down, it's going to be a a lack of fear of God and a desire for something other than God. A person must understand that the only way for a Christian to cooperate with God is to have a proper fear of God in his life. Now we just got done talking about fear of God. What is a good definition for the, you know, the, the fear of God? Walking around every day hoping that he doesn't strike me with a lightning bolt. Is that the idea of biblical fear of God? No. What is it? How do we define it? Yes. It's having realizing there are, are consequences to sin. Yeah. That, that's a key part of it. I believe. Sure. That God, God, out of His character, must punish sin, yeah. must judge sin. There, there, there's no way to escape the consequences of sin. Yeah. I think that's a, at the heart of what the fear of the Lord is. Yeah. Having a, a little glimpse of His holiness and His attitude towards sin, and the certainty of of, uh, that sin yeah. does not pay. Now you're getting when you said holiness, you're kind of moving in the in the direction I was I was looking for, Bobby. Yeah, I was just going to say it's it's that awe. Yeah, awe. Um, but also, you know, he says he treats us as sons now. Yeah. And so there's the love component. So it's like relating from a child to a parent. Yeah. So it is a it's a looking to God, it's a respect or revering of God. Obviously, you know, I was thinking of the quote of C.S. Lewis. Don't buy C.S. Lewis all of his theology, especially toward the end of his life. But he said, uh, talking about the Lord Jesus, he is not a tame lion. And if you just think about that that concept, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. There is a uh, uh, the the love of Christ the you know it's the love of Christ that constrains us but there you're not dealing with a tame tame lion there is a fear aspect there that comes along with it in a you know now in a relationship that that uh, the cross has the cross has, has mediated uh, it's a it's a respect it's it's an awe Psalm thirty two eight portrays the the man who fears God. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now, what, what's in the background there? There's somebody that this person is looking to God. He's looking to God for, uh, for, for direction. It's the, the fear of the Lord. I'm, I'm looking to you. Um, 2 Corinthians 7.1 Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. In the the fear of God, there is an aspect that when you sin, you should be afraid. Um, you perfect holiness in the fear of God, so you cleanse yourselves from all defilements of flesh and and spirit. You have to have a proper view of of the fear of God. You're looking to Him. You're dealing with Him. He's the He's the creator of the universe. He's not to be trifled with. 
Look at number two. You must understand that there are only two expressions of a life. One marked by obstinacy and one marked by fear of God. And each is recognizable and discernible by its by its attending fruits. Now, can you go back and forth between obstinacy and fear of the Lord? Yeah. <laughs> but there are two paths. And we talked about these verses on, on Sunday. Uh, James 3, 13 through 18. Turn over to James 3, 13 through, through 18. James asks a question here. Who among you is wise and, and, and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. She's going to answer the question, who's wise? Who's operating in God's wisdom? You'll show it by your good behavior, your deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Look at the contrast. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. So there's wisdom that comes from above. And then there is another kind of wisdom. That other kind of wisdom is marked by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It's arrogance. It, arrogant. It lies against the truth. That wisdom, he says, is earthly natural and demonic proof verse 16 for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there is disorder and every evil thing but the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable and gentle and reasonable full of mercy and good fruits unwavering without hypocrisy so you got a heart ruled by the fear of God is marked by a pattern here of spiritual discernment, wise and understanding, gentleness and meekness, purity, peaceableness, gentleness again, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere, being accompanied by a harvest of righteousness. The fear of the Lord looks to God for his wisdom, his ways. How do you know whether you're yielding to that in your life? Well, there will be a pattern that will be discernible. If you have spiritual discernment, you'll be, you'll be gentle, you'll be meek. You'll be without hypocrisy, sincerity that's there. A heart ruled by sinful desires is also marked by a pattern. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, hypocrisy. Being accompanied by disorder and every every vile practice. I think of these verses, I think of the fruit of the Spirit and uh, the works of the flesh. They're evident, right? And you know if you're operating in the flesh. Well, it's evident. Um, you can also know whether the, the fruit of the Spirit's being born in your life. That's, that's evident as well. It's, it's, a, it's a tremendous contrast that's here. So there's two expressions of life, one marked by obstinacy and one marked by the, by the fear of the Lord, and each is, is recognizable and discernible by its fruits. 
Am I being obstinate toward the Lord or am I looking to the Lord and yielding to the Lord? And you'll be able to see that in your in your life. Okay, number three. You must understand that there is one explanation for your obstinacy. If you're if you're obstinate, there's one reason. And there's also one solution. The root of obstinacy. I know the right thing to do. I'm not doing the right thing. I'm being obstinate toward that. Why? What's what's happening? Well, it's not due to your circumstances, your parents, your health, your environment, or your upbringing, or anything else. It's due to your own appetites. It's the lusts that are in your own heart. If the fruit of your life matches the description of the earthly wisdom list that we just went over, then your desire is controlling you, and this is an enmity with, with God. Look at the next few verses there in James 4. four one. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures, your lusts that wage war in your members? It's not your mom and dad's fault. It's not your health's fault. It's not your disorder's fault. It's not your upbringing. It's not your environment because you weren't educated or whatever it might be. The real source of being obstinate to the Lord, resisting what God is saying, is coming from within. Your desire is controlling you. And James 4.4 4 says that that's a, it's contrary to God. It's setting yourself against against God. The solution to that obstinacy, there, there's one reason and there's one solution. The solution, getting out of the of bondage to your desires, you stop by legitimizing those sinful desires. You say, I have the wrong motive. Um, you stop blaming someone else for the for your own, your own problem. Stop believing Satan's lie that every... Uh, that even temporary satisfaction will be worth it. There can be no flippancy about sinful desires. There must be an intensity and focus in pursuit of the fear of God. And then you yield to the truth of God's Word in humility. So you stop legitimizing, stop believing, pursue, and then you yield this is the only effective mechanism against sin's enticement. Yielding in humility results in resisting Satan's schemes. Verse 6 of James 4. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, God is opposed to the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit therefore to God and resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. It's a battle, isn't it, gentlemen? And yet, praise God, he's given us the victory in uh, in Jesus Christ. Um, closing comments before I let you go? Yeah? In the Romans, uh, I'm sorry, in the Second Corinthians passage, 
the word that, that struck me there was perfecting. Mm. That it's an ongoing process. It's not a. It's not perfect yeah. or perfected. It's perfecting. Yes, ing. Yeah. You, it's, it's continual. Yeah. You, yeah. you never get to yeah. that. We're confessing. Not on, not on this earth. Not We're confessing people, repenting people. Sure. Bobby? Yeah, Carl? Well, I was just going to say one thing I noticed as we were going through all of these is that in all of Paul's epistles, he starts with the indicative yeah. before the imperative. Yeah. He always starts with, you are, yeah. so become what you are. And so I think. That's excellent. There is, you know, and he's writing to believers. He's yeah. reminding them of the gospel. Yeah. And so I think we have to be really cautious of jumping to the law before the gospel. Yeah. I think the gospel is how we daily have to battle our sin. And then we go to the imperatives. Yes. Um, but if we go straight to the imperatives, it's either going to puff us up with pride or it's going to just belie us with guilt so that we're downtrodden in our, in our walk with Christ. The gospel is the joy, peace, and all the truth. Amen. Amen. That was worth your ticket this morning. You listened to any of that. That was good. Well, next time, your homework is uh, look over these three models of sanctification. And we'll talk about talk about those. There's derivatives of it, but there's three basic views that are there and then at some point we're going to start talking about becoming a mature disciple maker so let me pray for you father we love you thank you that you are you're so kind to us you love us you've loved us in christ you continue to do so i think of first john chapter two My little children, I'd have you that you sin not. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation. Thank you, Lord, that you have propitiated yourself to us. And that um, you're our Father. And we rest in Christ. Help us, though, to do battle against sin. Um, Deliver Each one of us, Lord, bless these men today in Jesus' name. Amen.